All right, you guys, turn with me to Matthew 26, Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be finishing out the chapter today. You guys, we've been digging through and looking at kind of the last week of Jesus now for about a month and a half. We're going to keep just digging through. We're getting near to the end, you guys, for sure. Last week, we started a message series that I called The Battle. So last week was The Battle Part One, and we looked at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You guys remember that? We looked at this. Jesus spending time battling his own will in favor of the Father's will, right? Him being there and saying like, man, Jesus, you know, God, like if there's any other way that we can do this, man, I would love it. That would be a better way for me, but not my will, yours be done, right? And so that was where the battle happened. And we looked last week at that. When Jesus left that garden, which we're gonna look at today, the battle was already won. From that point on, Jesus was like, your will, God, is going to be done in my life. The battle's won. He won the battle for all of us right then and there. But I do believe that he was in the middle of a battle. He was sweating drops of blood. There was a battle happening there. Today, I've called the message the battle part two. Isn't that so original? What's the battle we're going to look at today? Well, I'll tell you what it is. Last week, we looked at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we talked about the fact that Gethsemane itself, that word means crushing, and he crushed his own will in favor of the Father's will, right then and there. Today, you guys, we're gonna be looking at the battle that takes place in the heart of the disciples. And there's a lot to see here. Pretty much what we're gonna be observing as we tend to observe as we go through is Peter, (laughs) Peter being Peter. Peter is a great representation of the entirety of humanity, number one. But also, number two, specifically, uh, I think a lot of times, Peter was probably the oldest. That's what most scholars believe. And Peter kind of has a, he's a representative of the disciples as a whole. Does that make sense? But his life is just such a great representation of humanity. And so today, that's who we're going to be looking at a lot is kind of the battle that he was in. And I need us to give a little bit of remembrance, a context. What have we already seen from Peter? Already. Just in, just in the last week we looked at it, Peter was saying, man, like Jesus, everybody might leave you, but not this guy. I'm your ride or die. Like I am not leaving your side. Everybody else might, but I'm not. And then Jesus did what? He's like, oh, Pete. Oh, Peter, before the rooster crows, dude, you're gonna deny me three times. And what did he say to that? What should he be said? Oh, Jesus, well, you're the son of God and you're perfect. And so, yes, okay, that stinks. And I wish that wouldn't be true, but I believe it. No, that's not what he did. He was like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong, Jesus. I'm with you. Even if it means my death, I'm with you. That's, what, that's where we left Peter last week. So let's dig in. Verse 47 says this. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the 12 with a great multitude with swords and clubs came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up and Jesus said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. So remember, you guys, Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. He left the remaining disciples. Judas had already gone at that point. They had left the last supper. They're walking over to the garden of Gethsemane. That whole conversation happens between him and Peter right before all that. And then they get there. 
the disciples, eight of them or whatever, were remaining uh, in the outside. That was the right number, right? Eight. Eight were out on the outside of the garden. And then he tells his inner circle, those three, Peter, James, and John, to come in a little further into the garden itself, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus loved to go. And so he's in there. He brings them in and he says to those three, hey, my heart is troubled, right? This was the beginning of the battle for him. And he's like, will you pray with me? We just join me in prayer. And so he goes a little bit further away and he prays. And then he comes back and what were they doing? Sleeping. Peter already showing, I'm your ride or die. I am with you, Jesus. You want me to pray? I'm gonna sleep. Ah, fail. (laughs) So he wakes him up. He's like, can you just pray with me? And by the way, you're gonna be tempted. Like, so can you just pray for yourselves, you guys? Like pray for your temptation that's on the way for you guys. And like, get your head on right and like get it right. And so he goes away and he prays a second time and then he comes back and he has mercy on him. And he's like, oh, the man, spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so he just goes away. He doesn't even really bother again. And he just goes away and prays a third time. And then he comes back and, and remember what he said to him? He's like, hey guys, wake up. The betrayer's at hand. And so he knew what was going on. He knew what all this was happening here. And so he woke the disciples up and here they are And then it says, while he was still speaking, while he was still saying like, hey, get up, the betrayer's here, the betrayer's on the way. While that was happening, Judas shows up and kisses him on the cheek. You guys, I don't know how many of you have spent time in the Middle East being in the military. We got to spend a lot of time in the Middle East. And the thing is, is that it's still culturally over there, very common to see men kissing other men on the cheek. It's just a very common thing, much like you see, I think in Europe, women will do that with one another. But in in um, Middle East, it's not a big deal for men to hold hands and to walk down the street together uh, just to be friends. You know, like that's just what they do. And they kiss each other on the cheek. And I told the story in first service. When I left Turkey, I was there for four months and there was this guy that we had named Veli and he talked really low. He talked like this all the time. And we called him Veli Belly because he was a huge man. And so we were like, oh, Veli Belly. And he was like, oh, Smiley, I love you, my brother. And he gave me a kiss. And he would always call me his Christian brother because he was Muslim, right? So, but he would gave me a kiss, which meant a lot, right? It meant that he cared for me. And he'd never done that before. That was like the only time is when I left, right? And of course I told him he was a freak and made fun of him for it. No, I didn't. I'm teasing. But you guys, it, it's an intimate thing. It's an intimate thing. It's, it's not done to everybody. It's, it's done to people in this culture. It's, it's done to the people that you care about, that you're concerned for, that you love. And so here's Judas coming literally to betray his rabbi, to betray his teacher. Do you guys, do you guys get what a backstabbing, dirty, rotten thing this is? I need us to get our head around that. Because we're going to look at some other backstabbing, dirty, rotten stuff that happens later. And we're going to look at how there's a lot of backstabbing, dirty, rotten stuff that happens every day in all of our lives that we do to Jesus and that we do to one another, don't we? So let's not look at Judas and be like, oh, you loser. Was he being a loser in that moment? Absolutely. Are you guys losers sometimes? No, it's just me. (laughs) We can all do dirty, rotten, scoundrel things, can't we? But in this moment, you guys, I need us to understand what's happening here. Judas comes up and gives him a kiss. He's like, hello, rabbi. And it's almost like he's like, uh, 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 right in the back. This intimate greeting. And what does Jesus do? We looked last week at the fact that Jesus continued over and over and over and over again to try to give Judas opportunity, I believe, to kind of repent, to look at what he was doing and own it. 
didn't he? Because if you look at the Last Supper, it sounds like Jesus was being really coy when they're like, is it me, Jesus? And he was like, it's the person I dipped bread in with. And he's like, we've all been dipping bread with you, right? And so he's like, kind of sounds like he's being coy. I think the reason it sounds like he was being coy, instead of doing what he could have done, which was this, it's that guy right there. That's who it is. That's who's doing it. He could have done that. And then they would have taken him out and beat him up or done whatever they were going to do, stone him and took care of it. Would he still have been betrayed? Absolutely. Why? Because prophecy said that's how it was going to go down. Could Judas have actually asked for forgiveness? Well, we know historically he didn't. But it is one of those conundrums. It's one of those questions. Was he damned? I don't believe he was. I don't think there's a human being on earth that is damned. I think we damn ourselves by not accepting Christ. Right? That's the unforgivable sin. Not accepting the work of Christ in your life. Not accepting the fact that you're not going to make it on your own and you need him. And that's what we see in Judas is that he just continued walking down this path even when he was there this whole time and Jesus kept saying like, man, like giving options, giving opportunity for Judas to be like, it's me. I'm the idiot. I'm the one that's doing this thing. I don't know why I'm doing it. I shouldn't do it. I don't know. I just, Jesus, I have this idea that you're gonna take your kingdom and I'm trying to push you and make you do what I want you to do instead of me doing what you want me to do, which we all do sometimes. And that's where Judas was. And Jesus gave him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And so knowing that, do you guys see how Jesus still here gives Judas one final opportunity? Do you guys see it? Judas or Jesus had already told all the disciples, hey, my betrayer is at hand. He knew. So do you think he had to ask friend, why have you come? No, he knew why. And if he didn't know why, if he was really that clueless, I think all of the armed guards behind Judas might have gave him a clue, right? I can imagine disciples being like, you know, I just woke up, but I think they're coming to take you away. I think that's the way this is working here, Jesus. I don't know why you suddenly don't have any knowledge of that. That's not what was going down here. I don't believe it is. You guys, this word friend here, it has such meaning. We throw words like friend around or brother you know, especially in the church. Oh, brother. You know what I mean? And they do have meaning. Don't get me wrong. But this word here means companion, comrade, close friend. It's, it has depth. He's saying like, you, the one I love, what are you doing? Why have you come? I think he's like giving him one opportunity, one more to at least own his junk, to at least kind of confront him and say like, at least tell me the reason. At least don't be a coward and, and actually tell me why you're here. Like own it. You kissed me and you called me rabbi, but what you're really here for is to, to turn me in, to get me arrested. That's what you're here for. Like at least own that. That's what I think Jesus was doing. And guess what? We see that Judas didn't respond again. He was too much of a coward to own his own junk. And can I tell us something? Here's what I believe, and this is what I see throughout scripture, you guys. Owning our own junk is the beginning of repentance. We don't get to repentance until we realize that we've got some junk in our life. What can you repent of if you think you've got it all figured out and you're perfect? And church, I gotta say something. That's where we all were. So I don't think we should look around at other people that still think they got it all figured out and not remember the time when you thought you had it all figured out too. Right? Because we all do. Church, I think we've gotten way too good at putting up our nose to other people. And I don't think that should be so. We are beggars. We just happen to know where the bread is, 
right? Spurgeon. We're beggars that know where the bread is. And, and, and our job is to tell other beggars, like, you want, you're hungry? Come on, I got food. Come and get it. There's more. There's always more. God's grace is sufficient for everything. And you guys, that's the heart we should come to. But look at Judas. The beginning of repentance is at least if Judas would have been like, I'm pushing you in my direction because, or said something. But he was too big of a coward. He just kissed his cheek and walked away. Just stepped back and let them do their thing. You guys notice that Judas brought this whole crew of people from him. We're told in Matthew that he had just come from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And we're gonna find out later where they were actually at that he had come from. But the reality is, you guys, we're told in John 18, three, that in this gaggle of people, in this big amount of people was some Roman soldiers. And also in Luke 22, 52, we're told that there were temple guard that were in this mix. And this is a clear sign, you guys, of just how much Jesus was hated. Do you guys ever hear the phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. When other, what other time in, in anywhere in scripture or even in history do you see the temple guard you know, grabbing up some Roman soldiers and saying, hey, let's team up and let's go do something together. You don't see it anywhere else. This, this, this guy was such an enemy to the leaders, was such an enemy to what they perceived as the way religion was supposed to be. This guy, Jesus, the son of God, the one that actually came to set things right and to literally fulfill the entirety of the law, that guy was so just on their radar. So they hated him so much that they teamed up with the most hated enemy, the Roman soldiers, together to be on the same team and to deal with it together. You guys, do we see that in the world today? We do, don't we? Groups of people that normally hate each other's guts and won't give each other the time of day will come together to speak ill of the church, to speak ill of Christianity, to speak ill of Christ, right? Because the sad part is, is in some ways, they, whenever people all the time are like, well, the church is this. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true. I wish it wasn't, but it is true sometimes, right? Like they'll say things that you're like, yeah, that might be true, but that doesn't, that's not Jesus. Jesus isn't that, right? We're screwed up humans, just like you but Jesus isn't. But the thing is, you guys, the reality is, is that here we are and we're seeing it play out right now. I said in first service and I'll say again in this service, you guys, there's a thing I came across with this whole Roe v. Wade thing and you know, all that stuff, man. I don't know what you guys are seeing, but like on social media, I had to like get off social media because I was just like, oh my gosh, like I was guilty, man. I'm, I'm, I'm repenting here. Like I was guilty. Like I, I, man, my fingers were flying. I had all sorts of replies and they were, they were meant in love. Things like, man, I'm so thankful that babies will be saved. So thankful for the lives that are going to be saved from this. I'm so thankful that it's back in the state's hands so that like, Lord willing, God can move on each person's heart and the vote can be cast, right? Like I'm, I'm thankful for that. I am. I'm not gonna take away from that. But the thing is, is that on social media, me saying stuff like that, what value did that add? None. It just caused fights. It just caused fights. I have people in my family that are polar opposite of how I stand. And it just caused all these fights. And you guys, here today, you know, I, just recently we, I saw a thing that said that like because of the Roe v. Wade thing that there was all these groups that were coming together that didn't agree with each other any other time and they were attacking the church. They wanted to like blow up the church. They wanted to like 
you know, blow things up and, and, and ruin the church and everything. And I'm like, the Supreme Court, you guys, is not the church. The Supreme Court's a bunch of men that are registered. Are there Christians on that? I'm sure. I'm sure there are. But the reality is, is that it's interesting to me that like here the Supreme Court makes a ruling and immediately it's the church's fault. It's intriguing, isn't it? It's intriguing. But the, but the thing is, you guys, and I, I, we're gonna read here in just a little bit how Jesus tells us to handle that. But the thing is, is that we see that, man, groups will come together and they'll stand against Christianity. And I think it just speaks to the reality that what we have in our hands is the truth. And what we have in our hands is the freedom. It's, it's freedom, it's, it's truth, it's reality. And man, people don't wanna hear that. The enemy doesn't wanna hear that sometimes, right? Verse 51. It says, and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? We're told in John 18, 10, you guys, that it was Peter <laughs> that drew the sword. Peter, who had just woken up, it's almost like he woke up and he's like, what's going, what? And he just like swung his sword, right? Pulled out his sword and swung it. And he like, he was so tired and just so delirious that he didn't even hit the guy in the head. He hit him in the ear and cut off the guy's ear. And we're told in John that it was uh, Peter, but we're also told in John that this guy's name was Malchus. So we know this guard's name, Malchus. It was a guard of the high priest. So this commotion that was happening in it, Peter's first thought is, instead of praying like God had told him to in temptation, instead of recognizing all these things, he's like, now's my chance. I'm gonna show Jesus that I've got this. <laughs> right? And then he's like, dang it, I didn't even hit him in the head. Didn't even hit him in the right spot, right? Like he's like, wow, Peter, batting a thousand. So Peter gets rebuked by Jesus right away, Right? It says, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And then he reminds Peter of something. And I need us to hear this today, church. This is the truth. Jesus doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our help. He desires that we would be used by him. He, he wants us to be a part of what's happening, but he doesn't need our help. There's a guy named Propaganda. He's like a spoken word artist guy. And he has this spoken word poem that he does. And I love it because he says that too often the church tries to stand in front of the cage and like keep people away and protect Jesus. And he's like, what we need to do is open the door and get out of the way and let the lion out. God's got this, you guys. He doesn't need our help. And Jesus makes it clear to Peter. He's like, do you not know that if I want to deal with this right now, I could have 12 legions of angels. And I want to stop before I tell you what that number is. And think about this. In the Old Testament, do you guys remember that one time when God was like saying to this guy named Gideon, dude, you got too many people. Hey man, still too many people. And then he used 300 people to take out a whole army, Right? Do you guys remember that one time that they were all being starved out and then those two lepers, they're like, man, we're really hungry. We don't care if we get captured. We're just gonna go eat. And they showed up and guess what happened? The whole army was decimated and wiped out by what? One angel. One angel. Do you guys remember the time with Elijah when his, his, uh, his little you know, underling was over there and he was like, oh, I'm scared. I'm so scared. 
it. And then Elijah was like, oh God, just help him to see what's going on really. Because they had the whole army in front of him. And then there was like all these angels behind him. And he was like, okay, we're good. (laughs) 12 legions, you guys, 72,000 angels. 72,000 angels. Jesus was making a very clear point. I have got this. This is not something that's happening to me. This is something that I'm allowing to happen. We need to hear that, you guys. I think we need to hear that, church, more and more and more because I don't personally think, unless God intervenes and brings another massive revival to this nation, I think it's just going to get a little worse and worse and worse. Aren't, isn't that so exciting? God can do anything, and I'm praying that God brings revival to, the, to this land again. I'm praying for that, and that starts here with us. But the truth is, you guys, is that when I read the book of Revelation, I don't know how we get there unless things get worse, you know? And again, let's not be so myopic. We're not in Ukraine right now. We're not in countries where women are being taken away and raped and murdered and, and, and thrown away like dirt. We're not being taken in a place in Africa where the kids are being taken away and used as targets so that the army can train. There's places in this world that we can't even fathom and Christians are walking there. But I need us to understand something, you guys. If we live by the sword, then we perish by the sword. God has got this and I need that to sink in because here's the real truth. Peter missed the point entirely. He was using the wrong sword, you guys, on the wrong enemy. And I think we do that a lot in the world today. We use our tongue as a sword to cut people up with our words. We use the interwebs to cut people up and their opinions on the social media. And don't act like I'm the only one up here that finds the perfect meme and thinks, oh yeah. Mm, mm, mm. I can put that on there and everyone will think whatever they think. But I'll know what it means. Am I the only one that thinks that way? Come on, y'all. You guys, God's word makes a couple things clear. Do you know who our enemy is? Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You guys, our enemy is not humanity. But for God's grace, there go I. It's God's grace that brought us to a place where we are now, right? We don't fight against other humans. And, and, and I'm just as guilty of it, man. When someone I, just disagrees with me vehemently or they, they, they just live a lifestyle. Listen, I have a cousin that's married to another man and I, I'm like, I look at his life and I'm like, oh Lord, get a hold of his heart. And it's hard sometimes because I love my cousin dearly, but I look at him and I'm like, how do you not see that this is wrong? And I can get angry. But the truth is, is I shouldn't be angry at him because I'm just as messed up as him. And my sin might not look the same, but it's just as sinful. And so why don't I practice this? I'm I'm talking to myself, you guys, you know this. I've never been up here yet where I've actually been like, this isn't me, this is just you guys, (laughs) ever. And I don't think it ever will be because I'm just as human. The truth is we fight against principalities and powers, not against flesh and blood, you guys. We need to understand who our enemy is. Peter didn't get it. He struck out against this man that was just doing his job. What's our weapon? Hebrews 4.12. 
For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And I need to make something clear, you guys. This word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Can I tell you something though? If you hold it like this and you hammer people over the head, that's not sharp, that's blunt. That's not the point. Let God's word penetrate in the way the Holy Spirit wants it to penetrate, right? Proverbs talks about a fit word and a fit time. What does that all look like? I have no idea. You've got to seek the Lord for when the Lord wants you to speak a word into someone's life. And I promise you that if it is of the Holy Spirit, God will use that in a mighty and amazing way and you will see something cut through. If you sit here and hammer people through over and over and over, I, I don't know, man. Could God use it? Sure, right? God used a donkey. He can. Do I think that's the ideal? No. I don't think that's the ideal. I think the ideal is that we seek the Holy Spirit and we ask God, man, Lord, use me. And, and Lord, shut my mouth when it's supposed to be shut. And Lord, help me to not find the perfect meme and put it onto social media just to cut a whole group down with what I think. Even when there's moments, because the reality is, is that yes, there are moments that biblically, I'm like, this meme lines up with the Bible. And yes, what I think and about this, I believe wholeheartedly lines up with scripture. That still doesn't change the fact that my, the intent of my heart is not pure if I'm trying to cut other people down with it. God's word will do what God's word needs to do in the right time and in the right moment. We just need to trust him and let the lion out. Don't be like Peter. You're going to miss anyway. You're going to cut somebody's ear off. And then guess what? We're told in Luke that Jesus had to lean down, pick the ear up and heal it. You've done damage that he had to fix instead of actually doing what you were intending to do, which was fix this problem. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, I better hear some amens. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good. Verse 55. In that hour... Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled, just like he said they would. So Jesus asked this whole entourage, like, hey, you guys, why such a show of force? Like every day I was there with you in plain sight. Every day I was hanging out in the temple, doing my thing. He had been there since, right, right? He came in, they were laying palm branches, Palm Sunday, all this stuff. He'd been in there. He'd been in the temple, cleansed it how many times? At any point they could have arrested him. And that's what he's calling them out for. Why? Because what they're doing is illegal in every way. In every way. You guys... It's cowardly. It was against the normal protocol. The fact is, is that they were supposed to hold trials in the daylight in a public place. The Sanhedrin would usually meet on the outskirts of the temple grounds, right? That was where they did it. So anybody could kind of hear what was going on and there was no one sentenced to death in the Jewish law without it being in, on, in public, right? You didn't do backdoor type stuff. That's not how this worked. You didn't have trials at night. And then let's go one step further. Jewish law actually dictated that during the Passover, which we are in, we looked at that last week, remember? They had the last supper Thursday night. Thursday night for a Jew is Friday morning. When we go to Shabbat, if you've ever had the opportunity, we got to do that in college. I took a Judaism class and we got to go to Shabbat. Shabbat was their Saturday morning. It took place Friday night. 
And so we go and you put your little yarmulke on and you go through it and it's crazy. They did a lot of Hebrew and you do a lot of this. Amen, 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 amen. That's what you do. I don't know why. <laughs> That's how it was. So here they are, right? Thursday night, they're Friday. We're in the midst of Passover and they show up that night. They show up in the night. According to Jewish law, during Passover, every case, no matter how drastic the case was, was put on hold. There was like a recess until Passover was over. Notice that's not happening here. It just shows how much they hated him. And we see prophecy fulfilled right in this moment. When Jesus was being taken away, taken away what does it say? All of the disciples forsook him and fled. Why? Because they were afraid of being arrested and killed themselves. All their big, big words, all their big talk, especially Peter, it amounted to nothing. And we talked about that last week, right? Man, if we're not walking in the power of the Spirit, we got no power. Because the power of our pride is little. It sounds big, but there's no power there. And so we see that. Verse 57. It says, and those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. So Peter followed Jesus at a distance. He followed this party, right? He kind of stayed far enough away that whenever they were taking him away and they're moving him, that he wasn't really invisible in what was going on. And I could only imagine Peter still walking in his pride because we know up to this moment, he was still thinking he's got this. He's his ride or die. He's probably thinking like, look, Jesus, I'm, I'm proving it. I'm proving that I'm with you, but I'm with you at a distance, right? It's like, I got your back, way back. You guys ever hear that one? That was a military thing. We'd be like, I got your back. I got your back, way back because you didn't agree with the guy, right? Peter's like way back. He's staying in the distance. He's staying in the shadows, but he's following them at a distance. And they end up at the high priest's house. And we're told in John 18, 13, that they're actually at the high priest Annas's house. And you notice what it says there, that it's Caiaphas. And I just need to clear this up. Annas was Caiaphas's father-in-law, right? So there was a little bit of nepotism going on here, but also you got to understand this. The Jews recognized Annas as the high priest because he actually was the high priest. Rome, when they came in, they made Caiaphas the high priest. And so they were kind of like dueling high priests, but since it was father-in-law and son-in-law, they were not against each other wholeheartedly. Does that make sense? So they're at Annas's house. We're told that in John 18, 13, but Caiaphas is actually the one leading the procession. Why? Well, because according to Rome, which is where Jesus is gonna go after this, Caiaphas is the one that's in charge. So of course he has to be the one that's doing this, right? So Caiaphas, you guys, had arranged all the right people. Notice that it's the same people that are gonna be there during a daytime trial. It's all the right people, the scribes, the elders, all of the religious leaders, all of the people that need to be there were there. But here's the thing, all the right people at the wrong time. They were legally not allowed to meet at night. It needed to be during the day. It needed to be in public. This was not a public place. This was a person's house, right? Furthermore, according to the law, we know that they weren't even supposed to be having a trial during Passover and Passover had officially begun. So they should not be even having this trial. So in every way, this is the wrong time. It was in the wrong place. It should have been an official public meeting space, but it wasn't. 
Verse 59. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though, note this, you guys, even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Did he say that? Yeah, Jesus actually did say something similar to that. Was he referring to the actual temple? No, he was not. And he actually didn't say that he was gonna destroy the temple. He said, if you destroy this temple, it will be rebuilt in three days is what he said. So that it was, it was a, just like the enemy loves to do, mix in just a little bit of truth to make it sound like, mm, no, yeah, no, I think he did say that. He sort of did, but he didn't. But they find two people that came forward and were able to corroborate or, or to come together and, and agree that this is what he said, which is what they needed. They needed two witnesses for anything to be proven. And then it says, and then the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you were the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus is not a liar. He said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, hear this part, you guys. I say to you hereafter, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That should have terrified them. What was Jesus saying? I might be in shackles now, but boy, next time you see me, mm, I ain't gonna be. I don't think he said it with vengeance in his heart. I think he said it with compassion. I think he was trying to make a point to them, like, quit playing. Quit playing with me. Like, you, you, you think you're in power. I'm here because I'm choosing to be. You're not gonna like it if you keep going down this path the next time you see me. It says, then the high priest tore his clothes saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard the, his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, he is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? You guys, there are so many things that are wrong about this. Everything that we've already talked about, and then also this, you guys, did you know that Jewish law said that if someone came and bore false witness what the punishment was, they were supposed to be taken out and stoned right then and there. How many false, it says there were many false witnesses. We don't read of any of them getting in trouble. Not even trouble. Why? Because there were many there that night. Two of them, we finally got to agree. None of them were punished. Why? Because none of the leaders that were there wanted anything to do with the truth. They wanted what they wanted. They wanted their desired outcome to come true. Does that sound familiar, you guys? I think it's pretty painfully obvious that that's happening a lot in our government. It's happening a lot in our judicial system. And listen, this isn't something that's only been happening in the last two, three years. I'm not picking a side. I'm saying humanity's dirty. And our, our government is proving it over and over and over again and has been for a long time. You guys, the high priest, Caiaphas, he finally just kind of point blank asks Jesus and notice that even when he asks Jesus initially, Jesus still doesn't respond. He's not, he's not here to prove himself. He doesn't need to. But I love that whenever, man, Caiaphas kind of puts him under the oath to God, 
right? Jesus is God. He's God in flesh. He's like, I'm not going to lie to you. And so when he's put under oath to God, he's like, fine, I'll give you the answer. I'll answer you. And then, then he says what he says. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm the son of God. It is as you said. And then he gives him another truth. When I come back, I'm not going to be messing around in these shackles. I am in complete charge right now, and I will be then. And then, you guys, when I read things, I think if, for those of you that are visiting, this is how I, I've, I'm a visual person. So when I read stuff in the Bible, I always kind of imagine what it looks like. What was the scene? I always wish that I could be there. And so what I see Caiaphas doing when he says this is going like, ah, right? And then, and then the music's like, dun, 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 like big dramatic music. You know, he's like, blasphemy. And the reality is, is that if this was true, if, if anyone else had said what he said, it would have been true. It would have been blasphemy. And yet how often, you guys, it's not that far back, Jonestown, you guys remember that? I was just listening. I love listening to like true crime and stuff like that and trying to get into people's heads and understand why they think the way they think. And we were listening on the way back from Pennsylvania this week. We were listening to this uh, podcast about Jonestown. And I've always been fascinated by stuff like that because I'm like, what? doesn't click in someone's head. And I'll tell you what you see consistently over and over and over again and why I'm bringing this up. If, if the religious leaders were busy reading the Old Testament and actually like studying it and trying to say, God, show me what's going on here and taking even Jesus and John the Baptist and everything that they had heard, taking that to God and saying like, what does this mean? Is this true? I believe wholeheartedly that God would have showed them the truth. That's why Paul, I think, was genuinely trying to seek it out. Even when he was doing the most despicable things and getting people murdered, I still think Paul on some level was like, I want to know you, God. I really do. And God was like, hey, bow, get off your donkey. Listen to me, right? And Paul's life was drastically changed. I think it's true for all of us. If we are seeking truth, you guys, that God will help you find it. He's not, he's not hidden, Right? But the truth is, is that here we are and we see this guy who's like, oh, blasphemy. And he's, why? Because that's what they wanted to see. They wanted to see blasphemy. They didn't want to recognize that this guy was the son of God like he said he was. They didn't want to do it. And I see that in the world today. So often, you guys, people that are like, this is that and this. And you're like, no, it's not. It's just not. It's not okay. Men cannot be women and women cannot be men. Even if we surgically change it, it doesn't mean it's true. God created you the way you're created, right? I'm not being a jerk here. I'm not trying to be all political. What I'm getting at is, you guys, is that truth is truth, is truth, is truth. And we stick to the truth and we stick to what we know. Not to beat anybody up with it. Yeah. To walk in love and speak it in love. Agape love, you guys. Stuff that we're not capable of without the Holy Spirit. Right? After all that happened... They beat him. They spat in his face. They treated him less than human. And again, I, I can't help it, you guys. As I study for this message, it just society today just kept coming into focus for me over and over and over again because the fact is, is that if you're a person that's hated in society now, you're less than human. And church, we're guilty of that sometimes. We take whole people groups that we don't agree with, their lifestyle or whatever it is, and we look at them. And I think sometimes the way we treat them is less than human. We don't love them well. We point out all their sin and how despicable and horrible they are without looking at the fact that they're a human being. You guys, 
the fact is we got to go back to who our enemy is. It's not humanity. It's not humanity. We got to love people well, just like we see here. Listen, he was getting hit. He was getting struck. Do we see him doing anything? No, he just, just took it. It's easier to retaliate as a human, isn't it, than to actually take God's word seriously about turning the other cheek. And I've even said that to people. I'm like, man, you need to turn the other cheek with your spouse. You know, you need to, you need, they're growing. They're, they're young in the Lord and they're growing and you need to give them a little grace, a little, a little space, you know, and they'll be like, well, I only got two cheeks. No, you got more. Because <laughs> when you turned it and you turned it, guess what? You can turn it again and again and again. You can keep turning your cheeks. I need us to hear something. I'm not talking about stuff that's abusive. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just talking about regular old stuff. Is someone's lifestyle going to hurt you so poorly or so badly that you're going to die from it? No. Right? I've been to churches where if someone dropped an F-bomb in the church, everybody would die. They would just have a heart attack and die. Have you guys been to churches like that? Is a word really going to kill you? Well, maybe, I guess if you're 85, you're like, ah! <laughs> you just eat it. <laughs> That's sad. You get to go home and be with the Lord. But the thing is, is that you guys, like, what are we so offended by? And I mean that sincerely. Is their lifestyle offensive? Yeah, because it goes against God's word. But is it offensive to you personally? No, it shouldn't be. It is to me sometimes, and I don't want it to be so. I want to be able to look at them with the same eyes that Christ looks at them and says, I love you. Your sin is despicable, just like mine. Just like mine. The way I feel about this situation right now is sinful in my own heart. And I need God to help me scrub that clean in me. Like, I want to see you in love and I want to speak truth in love to you, you know? But that never gets to happen a lot of times because we're too busy throwing memes up on on Facebook or on social media that make it well known where we feel and how we feel about something, right? And so then the conversation never even gets to happen because nobody has any trust. Keep reading, verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when they had gone out the gateway, another girl, these are little girls, you guys, saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Because just like a little kid, they're like, I know you. You're famous. I know who you are. Verse 72, but again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you are one of them for your speech betrays you. And then he began to curse and swear saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. You guys, Peter walks out the words that Jesus had spoken to him earlier in response to his bravado and pride that Peter was showing, saying, I'm your ride or die. I'm not gonna leave you. And then Jesus is like, dude, you're gonna deny me three times before the rooster even crows. Like, get your head around that. It's nighttime, Thursday night. They had just had the late the last supper, they go out into the garden. Who knows what time this is, but before daylight even began, that's when roosters crow, right? Right at the crack of dawn. When the crack of dawn was coming, before the rooster even came out and started crowing, he had denied him three times. 
That's what Jesus said. He's trying to knock Peter down a peg. And what did Peter do? Instead of being like, yeah, Jesus, you're Messiah. I don't want it to be true, but apparently it's gonna be no. He's even then was like, nope, no, Jesus. I'm gonna do it the right way. You're gonna see. You're gonna see that I've got this figured out. And so here we see him walking out the train wreck of his pride. How often do you guys do that? And notice, I want you guys to notice that Peter gets progressively worse with his denials. Did you see that? He starts off, he just lies to a young girl. The girl's like, aren't you with Jesus? Like, no, I don't even know. I don't even know what you're saying. No, I don't know. I don't know. No, 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 no. Right? And then the second one, another little girl's like, you do know him. Like I've seen you walking around with him. And he takes an oath. You guys, what did Jesus say about oaths? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why? Because if you say an oath, it means something. So he lied to two little girls. Wow, Peter, you're doing great. Holy cow. He takes this oath. He's like, I don't even know the man. To the second little girl. Then what do we see on the third one? Listen, there are pastors that try to be like, oh, that curse and swear, that doesn't mean what it, what it sounds like. It means something different. So I took Greek, a lot of, and guess what that means? It means he cussed them out. It means he swore at them. He dropped some F-bombs. He threw out words he didn't like. Yeah, you're right. Well, I mean, right. I don't know if it was specifically the F-word because I don't know that they had that word. But it was foul words, words that were not good, words that anybody else and a sailor would look and be like, <laughs> those are crass. That's what he did. Why? Because he was like, shut up. Leave me alone. I don't know this guy. That's why. He was getting in, trying to make it clear, like, don't talk to me. And I want you guys to notice, look, it says, surely you were one of them because your speech betrays you. The Galileans, according to all the Jews, had an ugly accent. And so what he was saying to Peter, what they were saying is like, dude, you sound like a Galilean. We all know when someone's from down south, don't we? Especially up here on the East Coast. You get up here and you hear someone being like, hey, y'all, how you doing? You're like, okay. It's as painfully obvious as being outside of the East Coast or outside of New England and hearing somebody from Boston, you know, drop R's where there should be R's and put A's where there should be whatever. You know, all this like R's where there shouldn't be R's and A's where there shouldn't be A's and all this stuff, right? One of the guys that did the, uh, all the electricity in our church, God bless him, George, Judge. Judge, Judge did all of it and his wife, Diana. <laughs> They're from Massachusetts. <laughs> you guys, it, that's what we're seeing here. These last group of people were like, dude, I know you're hanging out with this Galilean guy, Jesus, because you sound just like him, right? And what happens when someone gets angry with their accent? It gets faster, don't it? So I can just imagine Peter, I'm going to use a Southern accent just because that's what makes the most sense. And anytime I was in the military, I had a guy that I worked with. He was one of my troops and he was from down South. He was such a great worker, really hard worker. I loved the guy to death. And we worked in fuels community. So we had all these, like, we had what we called pipe farms, right? Which were literally like hundreds of pipes. And you had to know which valves to open to send fuel different ways. And it was important because you could overflow a tank and cause a massive international incident if you had fuel flying all over the island of Okinawa. So it really mattered. And there was, and I was training them and I, and we would always train, 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 train. And I went out to test them out. And the one day, and I was like, 
hey man, you missed that valve. The valve's closed and that means it's going over here to Futema instead of going over to Kadena Tank Farm. And, and he, he's like, well, I'm, well, sorry, Smiley, I'm telling you, I, I, I just did it. I, 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 I think I had a rabbit. I, I don't know. I think it's wrong. And he got like really excited. I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down. And he was like, sorry, Smiley, I'm sorry. I saw here that, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I understand you. That's kind of what I imagine Peter his Galilean accent on crack, right? Like on steroids, like, nah, 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 nah. like getting so angry and frustrated. And they're like, well, yeah, this guy is a Galilean. <laughs> In other words, he wasn't helping his cause. He was making it worse. Again, like I told you, I, I put a kind of movie to everything I read to just get it in my head. So take it for what it's worth. My movie might not be true. We might get to heaven and Peter might be like, that is not at all how it happened, sir. You guys, when the final denial happened, Peter heard the rooster. And it was that rooster sound that reminded him, oh yeah, Jesus said so. And so he goes out and he wept bitterly. And I got a question for us. How often do we remember all the things that we've learned in the Bible, all the daily reading that we do, all of the times in scripture that you hear a pastor tell you something that you know is God's word, there it is, you've heard it, you've read it a hundred times. And right after you sinned, right after you've screwed something up, that verse comes to your mind, right? Or that pastor that you have been sitting under for a long time and you hear his voice in your head or you're just like, ah, and you know you screwed up. And sometimes you guys, the truth is we're so full of pride, lust, greed, anger, pain, all these different things that sometimes you guys, even in the midst of knowing that we're doing the wrong thing and God putting those verses in our head, we keep going, don't we, sometimes? Sometimes, man, that's just the way it goes. And listen, what happens at the end of that? You weep bitterly. You feel sorrow. You're like, dang it, God, here I am again. Here I am again, looking at porn again. What the heck? God, I know better. I know better. Lord, my reading this morning told me to watch my eyes and be careful of what I'm looking at. And here I am again. God, help me. oh, it's only gonna be one drink and then a six pack later, you're like, God, I know better than what am I doing? We've all got those things. God, I'm gonna stop gossiping. I'm not gonna do it, but guess what? Mary needs prayer. And let me tell you. And then you walk away and the Holy Spirit's like, Mary, Mary did need prayer from you. Should have kept your mouth shut. And then you're like, oh, God, again. Here I am. We all deal with this, you guys. We all deal with fear. We all deal with pride. We all deal with moments of weakness. We all struggle to walk out God's righteousness in our lives and the way we speak and in interactions, don't we? None of us are perfect. No one here has it figured out. We have the same choice every day that Judas and Peter both had. And this is the battle, you guys. For us as humans, the battle's still waged. The battle's still going on. And you know what your two choices are? And I'm gonna say a hard word here. Judas chose apostasy. Peter chose repentance. Apostasy is a really big word. And I personally believe that in churches, we don't use it enough because it should terrify you to hear that word. What's apostasy? Completely giving up on the truth. Completely giving up on the truth. Never coming to a place of repentance. That's what we see in Judas. He never came to a place of repentance because he had completely given up on the truth. He was like, 
Jesus, I'm going to force you into my box. You're gonna fit into the mold that I have for you. I don't care. I'm gonna follow this out to the end. And what was his end? Even in that last moment before he committed suicide, I believe, I firmly believe he could have cried out and be like, God, forgive me, but he didn't. He's like, that didn't work out the way I thought it was. And he killed himself. Guys, do you know, we all feel sorrow, don't we? Judas felt sorrow. He felt sorrow, but he never came to a place of repentance. Sorrow is something everyone of sound mind feels when they screw things up, right? If you're here today and you're not psychopathic, you're not Jeffrey Dahmer, you're not one of those people, that, man, even then, God's grace is poured out on some of those people. I think Jeffrey Dahmer came to the Lord before he died, right? Like, so even then, God can step in and heal. But in those moments, if that's not you, you have sorrow when you do things wrong. You have sorrow when you yell at someone when you know you shouldn't have. You have sorrow when you know you've stepped out of God's will for your life because you know God's word says, don't do this thing, and you did it again. You know it, and you feel sorrow. Here's the difference. You can still be choosing apostasy in that moment. Do you know that? Repentance is acknowledging you've sinned and desiring to walk away from it. You guys, I think apostasy is far too common in the church today. And I really felt strongly that I needed to bring this up because the fact is, you guys, is as as we go, what does God's word say? That the church is going to do that. There's going to be a great apostasy. There's going to be people that fall away, that choose to just go their own way and say, you know what? It's cool that I'm having sex with my girlfriend. God doesn't care. Yes, he does. It's cool that I'm going to just do this. God doesn't care, but yes, he clearly does. He said it in his word and it means something. That's apostasy. Can God reverse that? Yes. How? You repent. You stop it. You say, God, forgive me. And you walk away from it. And God is so faithful, you guys. He's doing that every day by day by day by day. But I will never, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be a church that stands up here and says, yeah, everything's okay. Like so many churches are doing today. There's things that are not okay. And they're sinful. And that sin is not worse than any other sin. But it's still sin. What was the difference between Judas and Peter? Peter felt sorrow. The process, you guys, of repentance always begins with sorrow. It has to. If the Holy Spirit's dwelling inside of you guys, you're going to feel a conviction in your heart when you do something wrong. You get to choose in that moment, God, am I gonna say, forgive me and walk away from that? And, and I always view the Holy Spirit as kind of a square in your, a cube in your chest. Have you guys ever heard that analogy? So every time you screw up, that cube turns, hurts. There's edges. And you're like, oh. And so you know, the Holy Spirit's like, mm, you shouldn't have done that. Don't do that right? Well, you guys, you can keep doing it. The Holy Spirit's still the Holy Spirit, but you can kind of wear that sucker down to a circle, to a sphere where you're like not feeling it anymore. That's where you're borderline, borderline towards apostasy. And guys, to me, that's a scary place to be. Am I saying you're not saved? I have no idea what that looks like. I have no idea where that line is. But like we've talked about a million times before, God is sovereign and he knows that not one of his will be lost. But it also says clearly, abide in the vine. You're not going to be doing the apostasy thing if you're abiding because you're going to say, I want to stay here, God. I want to be linked in with you. And I know I've jacked up. I know I've screwed things up. And Lord, forgive me for that. And you're stuck. You're stuck in there on the vine. You're right where you're supposed to be. You're fine. That's what Peter chose. He had sorrow, but he went the extra step of admitting his wrong, asking God to forgive him. 
We see that, right? When Jesus restores him, we're gonna read that in a couple weeks. When Jesus restores Peter and Peter's like, I love you. You know I love you. I'm sorry I did this, right? Judas never did that. You guys, I think there's plenty of people that go to church faithfully that do not walk in repentance. I'm gonna run down a list of things that I've heard in this church sometimes, sadly, that I think are scary things to hear and scary things to say if you're the one saying them. I've heard things like this. This is just how I am. I don't think you understand repentance if that's what you think, right? Because repentance leads us what? To a clearer image of Christ. So you shouldn't just be who you are. God wants to change you into a clearer image of Jesus day by day by day as you walk with him. And that happens through a heart of repentance that's gonna change you. And you guys, you should thank God that you don't know the, the guy that was 30 years ago whenever I got saved. Not just because I was a young fool, because now I'm just an old fool. But because, man, I'm not the guy that I was and I praise Jesus for that, right? I praise Jesus that God is changing me day by day by day. And guess what? I hope next year I'm not the same guy I am today. So yeah, if you are saying things or you're hearing things like, this is just who I am, this is how I am. Wow, you don't get repentance very well. What about this one? This isn't really that bad. I only smoke weed once a week. It used to be every day. I've only slept with my girlfriend a few times this month. That's way better than last month. Hey, that's God growing in you. Praise the Lord. But the truth is, if you're saying that because you just want to keep doing the same thing over and over again, that's a problem. Yeah. Repent. Stop doing the thing that God says clearly you shouldn't do. What about this one? If God wants to take it away, then he's going to have to do it. On, on one level, that's absolutely true. You will never finish doing something in your own power. If you're here today and you're addicted to pornography, I don't care how many things you put on your phone, which you should do, how many blocks you put on your computer, which you should do. All of those things are not gonna change your heart. God has to change your heart. But I will say this, if you don't have any blocker on your phone, if you don't have any blocker on your computer, if you're not putting forth any effort, how far do you think you're gonna make it? Not very far, because you're leaving yourself wide open to the enemy. Right? So I don't believe this. I don't believe that, well, if, if something needs to go in my life, God's going to have to do it. I do on a level, but I think there's, we got some skin in the game, y'all. We got to like put forth some effort here. We've got to repent. Repentance is an act. It's not a thing. It's not a word. It's, a, it's an act. It's, a, it's an action. It says, I, Lord, am not going to keep walking this direction. I'm going to turn and Holy Spirit, I need you to help me because man, everything in me wants to keep going this way, but I know you're telling me to go this way. And so I want to walk this way. And guess what? Sanctification, the walk of sanctification is doing this <laughs> and falling and getting up and walking and, <laughs> and getting up and walking. And that's sanctification. And we're gonna do that the rest of our lives, you guys. The battle and the fight is happening by walking this way, step by step by step. That's the battle. You're not in the battle if you're just like, oh, I'm just gonna go like a lamb to the slaughter. No, then you're being walking in apostasy, you guys. That's a terrifying thing. Don't do it. A life that's lived in the battle is one that's never given up. It's one that's walking constantly in God's grace and mercy. And I gotta say something, you guys. I'm past the time. We're not gonna do a final song, sorry. How, every time, second service, I go longer. 
is my closing point. The truth is, is that I wanna be a church that is not afraid to be real. And we've talked about it a thousand times. If we walk in here with our little plastic Ken and Barbie pieces on and walk back out the same way, then we are not doing anything. We're not putting forth the effort that God requires of us. We need to come here and be real one with another. And I think that's also part of the idea of repentance. Why? Because you get to be known by people in the church and you reach out and you, you get to be known and you know people. And then God gets to use you and other people's lives to be like, I think that's gossip. And I think we need to stop, stop talking about that right now. And then they get to repent of that and be like, oh, you're right. Right? Men. It's happening in men's group, man. We got men that show up and they're real with one another and it's raw but dude, I'm telling you, I believe this wholeheartedly. A life that's in the battle, that's fighting the battle, it doesn't look clean and it's not pretty. And anybody that's been in any amount of war at all realizes that it's gory and bloody and disgusting. That's battle. If you're walking in all plastic and clean, you're not in the battle. A life that's lived like that is a life of power. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart. It's a life of purpose. Why? Because you're aiming towards Christ and Christ is using your life to bring others to him. It's a life, you guys, that's winning the battle even in the midst of all of your screw-ups. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, Come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.